All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Lord, we love to hear our pages of our Bibles turning and having that freedom to sit down and take a break from the world and just get refreshed by being in your presence. And we pray that that's what would take place tonight as we've set this time aside because we know how important it is to have fellowship with you, to study, to learn of you, to do all of the things that Acts 2.42 says, that we um, fellowship and pray and spend time in your word. And um, we know that that is health for us. So we pray that you, by your spirit, would speak to us, um, that we'd be open and receptive to everything you have for us. And we thank you for Paul's, um, well, just his heart for this church. They didn't necessarily have a heart for him, but he certainly had a heart for them. And that's always the case with you. Um, he, Paul had your heart, that you always have a heart for us, and um, we can always count on that. We, you're a faithful God, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is very faithful. And uh, that's a word we don't use in everyday lingo when we're talking to people, you know. Um, reliable are words we use for other people around here. It's a little more acceptable. You don't walk up to your mechanic and say, man, you're a faithful mechanic, you know. So you're reliable, you know. And, uh, but that's what it means. And this church, the Corinthian church, has a reliable, faithful pastor. And uh, they don't understand that. Now, they wrote him a letter about some specific questions um, that they had about specific issues. And Paul, uh, being a good teacher, will address the specific issues, but he's more, more trying to get across a principle. Um, one of their problems that they're going to have right off the bat is about food. What should we eat? What shouldn't we eat? And, and where should we buy our food? You know, well... Paul knows it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> and he knows that they know it's not that big of a deal, but they've got some in the church that think it's a really big deal. And so they're arguing amongst themselves in this Corinthian church. And Paul is going to take that specific and try to give them a principle. He wants them to understand, no, we're, we're supposed to all be operating in love. If he just talked about sausages, he knows the next question will be, well, what about T-bones? And if he got to address the T-bones, they'd say, well, yeah, 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 that's fine. But meatballs, are they in the same category as sausages? Or, okay, you know, you have to understand the principle and what God's heart is for us as believers to walk around in this world so that we don't have to address issues. We can have a principle that governs our lives. And that's the principle he's going to discuss. Knowledge puffs up. Your biblical knowledge can puff you up. Your understanding of Scripture and your, all that goes along with that can puff you up or you can operate in love and that functions then. It works better. It, it accomplishes God's will on this earth. What's God's plan? What's, his, what's, his, what's the thrust of his mission here on earth? And that's to evangelize. And that's to tell people about their saving grace that they can have in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for them. And that's what he wants to spread now, he doesn't want us to not have knowledge, don't misunderstand, but he doesn't want the knowledge to get in the way of the gospel, and it can sometimes. Winning an argument is useless if you lose the person you're trying to minister to. 
you've won, but you've lost the soul because they can't feel like they can communicate with you anymore. And so knowledge is fine, but mixed with love is invaluable. And so he's going to try to get that principle across here. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, that's the question. There's things offered to idols. Now most of us would say, well, wait, idolatry, red flag, red flag. Well, of course. Well, with idolatry, with idolatry, you'd have a a temple, and there'd be the golden statue, the wooden statue, the marble statue, whatever statue it is. They have to have a um, an edifice to worship. Normally, you would put up sacrifices. You would you would you would give them oranges, or you would. Unplugging my fan. What if I sweat over the pages? Okay, thank you. I don't want to sweat. Walking in the mall down in St. Joe. If you walk down in the mall in St. Joe, there's the um, the nail place in one of the entrances when you walk by. I don't know if you've ever seen it there. It's by the arcade. My kids love the arcade, and the bathrooms are right there. So that's the entrance we go into. We hit both things when we go there. And then there's this place where they do nails, and they got the big lounge chairs and all that. But if you look at the corner, the bottom right-hand corner of their little glass front that they have there in the mall, you'll see a little idol there, and you'll see their little food offering right there, whatever it is, oranges and flowers and things like that. And you, and you look at it, and okay, there, there it is, you know. You know, most of us in America don't understand what that is. We've never seen that. We don't witness that on every day. But if you ever want to see that, there it is, you know. So now you can all take pictures and selfies by the idol and say, I saw the idol, you know, or whatever. There it is. Well, they have that food offered there. Well, they leave the food for so long, but they're going to eat it because they know the idol, well, it's made of rock. It's not going to consume the food, you know. It was the thought that counts, basically, when it comes to idolatry. And that's the case here. They would offer some of the meat or the food or whatever it is to this idol, but then they've got a lot of leftovers that were all prayed over, that were all offered to the idol, but the idol didn't really eat it all. So they're going to sell it to make money for the temple. Well, that's a bargain all day long. You know, we got to get rid of this fresh meat. And anything we can get for it is great. So they got some Christians that are going there saying, I know that's a rock. I know that it means nothing that they prayed to this rock. I know that there's nothing in demons. There's no, any idol has a demon or whatever. And I've one got it. And they have the freedom to go into these places and buy these bargains, you know. And so the Corinthians would show up at church. Now, I'm, I'm filling in a lot of gaps here, mind you. Okay, a lot of gaps. And they'd show up at church. Well, you can see the picture. Here's the question. I got this on sale. Where'd you buy that? The idol shop over there, you know. You went in there, said the younger Christian to the older Christian. Well, yeah, it's a great deal. I don't think you should go in there, you know. That was offered up to idols. So does that mean that you worship both the true and living God and this idol? Because you're eating of it. Anybody that eats his food is actually an act of worship for those idols. No, 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 no. I don't really want to. Well, that would cause them to stumble. Because in their heart, they think if they ate that food, they would be compromising their devotion to the one true and living God by eating this food. And saying they're to have a divided heart. I'm worshiping both gods. And that's not the case, but that's how they felt. And if that is their heart, and they go ahead and eat, then they truly have divided their heart. You see the difference? 
It's a heart issue. It isn't really about the the physical food or the way it was offered up. It was that young believer really felt if they they ate that food, they'd compromise their faith. But hey, it was offered to me, so I'm going to compromise my faith. And they truly have compromised their faith. In their heart, they've decided that God is half. And that's the argument. That's the issue here. So Paul says, now concerning things offered to idols. Now that we have our background and understand a possible scenario, we know that we all have knowledge. In other words, we know that there's nothing in these idols. Knowledge puffs up. And the word there, if you look in the center column reference of your study Bible, it's number one, uh, verse one of chapter eight, it says, makes arrogant. That's another word you can put in there. Puffs up isn't a word we use, but we certainly know what arrogant means. Your knowledge can make you arrogant. But love edifies, and the other word for that, there's a little number two by that. I'm teaching you how to use a center column reference for those who don't know how to use it. That number two, you go over to that center column and you look at it. Chapter eight, verse one, number two can also mean builds up. Okay, it can build up. That's what we want to do. We want to build people up. We don't want to tear them down. And so Paul makes the principle very obvious right off the bat. We know that we have knowledge, but knowledge is going to puff us up. But I love edifies. And if one thinks, or if anyone thinks that he knows anything, in other words, I know that I know, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. What he's saying there in Paul's lingo is, if you think you know and your attitude is, I know, then you probably don't know like you're supposed to know. There is a way to have knowledge, to hold that, to keep that, to share that knowledge, and it has to be in love. If you know for the sake of knowing, and you let everybody know that you know, I'm doing this on purpose, then you probably don't know like you're supposed to. You have to start with love, and with love, gain knowledge for the sake of loving other people. You have to hold that knowledge in a special way. Owning a Bible is wonderful, but if it's owned in an irresponsible way and used irresponsibly and not as the Holy Spirit leads us to use it, then we can do a lot of damage with the Word of God. It isn't always healing. The Word of God doesn't always heal. I can use the Word of God in such a way that I can hurt everybody in this room if I don't use it in love, if I'm not careful in how I use it and have done that in the past fallen into this trap. I don't like being wrong. I don't like being challenged. And so here's the word of God. Oh, I killed him. Oops. That wasn't my intent. My intent was to let them know. My intent was to let them know that I knew. Oh, not bring them along, not edify them, not build them up. See, I can have a conversation with, I was going to use an example here and I'm wondering if I should. Two people from a group of believers that don't know, uh, it doesn't work, it's just way too many things. I can take two different people from the Seventh-day Adventists out for lunch, and I can have two different conversations with them depending on where they are with the Lord. Seventh-day Adventists have a couple issues that you have to worship on Saturday, and no pork, and, and miscellaneous other things that are along with their beliefs, okay, so... If I'm with a guy who says, 
I want to be a pastor of Calvary Chapel, and I want to switch from Seventh-day Adventist to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. And this is an actual story from Pastor Chuck Smith, but I'm going to put myself in that place because it, it can be all of us. We need to, at that lunch, as men, have a ham sandwich, okay? We need to have the ham sandwich together. We need to split it. You need to get over that hang-up. That's something that they have to be, you have to build yourself up. You have to understand. You have to be set free from that before you can do what you're asking to do. Now, I can have another person who's a brand new believer, just joined, really, really doing good. I'm not eating ham and I'm, I'm worshiping on Saturdays and I will have salad with that one. Because to build them up is to encourage them in many other things way before we get to ham. That doesn't even need to be discussed. We need to figure out where Genesis is. We need to find out where the book of Revelation is. We need to understand what are all these numbers and why are there some letters in red and some letters in black and white. We're not even there yet. You have two different conversations because the idea is out of love. Look, brother, I know you want to do that and I want you to do that, but you got to be set free from this. You've got to be set free because if you're in bondage, you will lead other people into bondage. And so you've got to be set free from this. We need to have this ham sandwich together. It's a different conversation, but it's from love. It's from love. Both conversations need to take place, and we need to be led of the Spirit in every moment because you don't have the same conversation with every single person. You can't find a book that says, this is how you witness to people every single time. I don't like those books. That's not how it works. That is not the way of the master. He does it differently. He ministers to people differently at different times and in different ways, has different conversations with different people. Yes, the end goal is the same place, but we've got to start someplace and everybody starts in a different place and you bring them to that place. You don't get to have, you don't pigeonhole people. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. So you have two different conversations. with two. Paul says you've got to make sure that whatever knowledge you have, you use it responsibly in love to build people up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet he, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered idols. So he starts with the principle and he's going to apply it now to the actual question of should we eat this food? Okay. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. We know that. That's that knowledge that we talked about earlier in the first verse. We know that there's nothing about these idols that are to be feared or even to be revered at all. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, you could make anything a god or a lord is what Paul's getting at. He's not actually saying there are multiple gods. But there are all out there. Your boat can be your God, or you can worship Buddha, or you can do whatever. We understand that that, is, that exists. Yet for us, as believers in Jesus Christ, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Not everybody's there yet. Some people are at different places in their walk. They don't realize that there are other gods. They really reveal out of the 20 gods that are presented to them, they've chosen the one. And we've got to be really careful about not getting in the way. No. And when you come to full maturity in Jesus Christ, you realize all other 19 or however many there are to choose from are nothing. They're absolutely nothing. They have no power. They have no ability. They have no 
hope. They need you. They need you. These other gods need you. Our God does not need us. That's a huge difference. Remember Dagon. Dagon was the fish god, half man, half fish god. And when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from the Israelites because they used it as a good luck charm and God let himself be captured, let his chair be captured, they brought it in and laid it at the feet of their Dagon and said, look, Dagon, thank you for the victory you've had over this puny little Israel god. And the next morning they came in and Dagon was fallen over. And they had to help their God back up again, set him up there, maybe put some more, you know, bolts in the ground or something and make him stand a little better. And the next day, same thing happened, except his hands had broken off and his head had broken off. And like, oh, now we get some glue for our God, you know. That's the idea. As believers, we understand that there's no other gods. There really isn't. There's a bunch of rocks carved into the image of some guy's imagination, but there's nothing out there. Paul says not everybody has that knowledge. Some people come from a background that in their culture, it's so deep. They've grown up with it. There's nothing they can do when they see the, the little jade fat man sitting in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the squatting position with the big smile on his face. They're like, oh, you know, oh, that's Buddha. You know, no, as a, a lost human being that needs Jesus, needed Jesus, you know, no. Needed to worship God. There is nothing in them, but not everybody has that knowledge. So, with conscience of, of the idol until now, uh, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So, he is siding with the people in the church in Corinth that said, yes, I understand there isn't anything there and you should be able to go buy that food. But that's not the issue. The issue is how do the people around you see that in the church? And if you've got younger brothers and sisters arguing with you and having this problem, you have, you have stopped talking about Jesus and now you're talking about steaks. And that's not the point. They have a weak conscience. Fine, it's weak. It needs to grow up. It needs to mature. But right now, this is where they are. Weakness is a lot of times related to age. You know, um, anybody that's grown up with kids who want to wrestle you, you understand that. I don't go at a two-year-old like I go at JC, you know, or Seth. Those kids... Well, they need all this weight on them, you know. Two-year-old doesn't. You got to be careful. You wrestle accordingly. You, you know, uh, oh, I really got you. And they can punch you in the face full force. And you're like, you know, oh, really good job, buddy, you know, kind of thing. You really got me kind of thing. Now, JC or Seth, if they want to wrestle, and they've tried a couple times. And... <laughs> I just, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mass here. They just can't manipulate it, you know, like they think they can. But they hit hard. Seth is a hard, hard hitter. So is JC. They hit hard. Um, so you go at them a little differently. Strength comes with age, you know. And some of you older guys, just, then there's old man strength, you know. You start getting a little flabby and saggy, and the young guys are looking that are all buff and they lift weights. It's all puffery, you know. 
They look at these wiry old farmers, and these wiry old farmers are picking up tractors and moving them over here, you know, and setting them down. And they're, oh, you know. There's that kind of strength. As believers grow and mature in the Lord, you get stronger. Your conscience gets stronger. You understand better. All he's saying is you guys are, you're acting like these younger believers are peers. I always think it's funny when adults talk to two-year-olds like they're peers. Uh-uh. And they're arguing with these two-year-olds in Walmart or when I feed them. Like, they're not your equal. They're little kids. Just tell them what to do, you know? You don't have to be bossed around by them. You don't have to come to an understanding. They just do what you tell them, you know. (laughs) Likewise, in the church, sometimes you just, hey, this is not, I'm not going to talk about that. We're not going to worry about that. Let's move on. We know from God's word, whether that's Peter's sheet in Acts chapter 10, if you don't know the story. Peter's about to minister to Gentiles. He doesn't know it yet for the first time. And so he's got to hang up with Gentiles like every Jewish boy does. You stay clear of the Gentiles. They're like dirt, you know. I'm sure God loves them in his own way, but, ew, you know, that's his thought. That's the idea. And so he still had the idea that Jesus, the Messiah, was for the Jewish people only, not for the Gentiles. So he's up hungry in a trance up on top of this house waiting for his lunch to be made. And God in a vision shows up and brings down this sheet. It's described that way. And inside of it, all sorts of four-footed, everything, everything was there. Creeping things, bugs, and everything you're not supposed to eat with some things you're supposed to eat. And the Lord looks at Peter in this vision and says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. You're hungry, eat. Not so, Lord, he said. No, like it was a test. Nope, I've never eaten anything unclean, he told God in the vision. And he looked at God. Or God looked at him. They probably looked at each other. He says, don't don't call common or unclean what I have cleansed. If I said you can eat it, you can eat it. I don't do that. I don't tempt people with sin. So there it is. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And this happened to him three different times. While he's doing that, while this is happening in this vision, three Gentiles that were sent by God to come get Peter knocking at the door. Peter opens the door and says, oh, here are the unclean people. So he is talking about food. He is clearing the way that there is nothing unclean anymore. Eat whatever you want to do. I've cleansed everything, but also for ministry... So we know that, we have that knowledge, we have that understanding, but not everybody knows the, the Peter Sheet story from Acts chapter 10. They don't even know that there's a book of Acts yet, you know? And so you got to be careful about that, those things. If they have a, a weak conscience, eh, let's talk about everything else that we can talk about. We'll get there, you know? Verse 9, but beware. Lest somehow this liberty of yours, this knowledge to do whatever you want to do, this liberty of yours, become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died." But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. 
Now, Paul does go on to eat meat. He's making an example here. If I know that's going to cause them to stumble and do damage to their walk with Jesus wherever they are in their walk, then I'm not going to eat meat. What a waste of time. I can certainly starve myself of a beautiful steak and have salad with whatever else on it. For the moment, I'll eat steak when I get home. I don't have to do it to prove a point. That's not the point to make right now, he says. So he makes it a very... Well, he calls it sin. It's actually called sin. Not only is the weaker brother sinning against God because they've been persuaded by the older brother to break their conscience. This is a hard thing to grasp, but I want to get our minds around it. Everybody's in a different place. And if it's sin to them to do this thing, then it's sin to them. It really is. Because for them to do something that they believe God doesn't want them to do is to be rebellious against God, and that's the sin. We have to be careful. We have to walk in love. Now, he's not expecting us to know everybody's heart and everybody's weaknesses. You can't possibly. There will be moments when you're walking along and you do, and you're eating your ham sandwich, and someone goes, I didn't know I was going to run into you. I'm sorry, but you know what? I'm finishing my sandwich. There are moments. You can't worry about that. That may be the moment that they need to realize, I'm not sitting. The Bible says, let's have a Bible study about it. Let me show you in Scripture where it says I can eat this. You can't worry about that. We don't need to walk on eggshells our whole life, but we do need to to make a conscious effort to not purposefully hurt somebody's feelings, to hurt somebody's walk with Jesus Christ, to cause them to stumble in their walk with the Lord. Very important. Because if we do, on purpose... And I've thought about doing this too. I thought about sinning. I would never call it that. But like on, like, like when they do, when they do uh, um, Lent, you know, and everybody's fasting from food on our meat on Fridays and stuff. I wanted so badly to do a cheeseburger fry out here on Fridays. You know, come have cheeseburgers. You guys can all have your fish. We're having cheeseburger just to. But that's the flaunt. That's to purposefully hurt people's, you know, ha, ha, ha. You know, we have liberty in Christ over here. Well, yeah, we do, and you can, but is it appropriate? Is it in love? Am I concerned for those that are weaker? Now, there may need to be that conversation with those who are hung up on that, but maybe that's not the way to do it, you know. And it can become sin if I'm doing it to not build people up, if I'm doing it for the sake of arrogance, my motive matters. Chapter 9. He moves on to his authority that he has uh, as a believer, as an apostle, um, as a father of this church. Next question. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I was sent to you. That's what apostle means, sent one. I was sent to you by God, and I planted this church. I got you all saved. I started off by giving you the gospel. Of course, he's not taking credit like he had some kind of powers, but he is saying, I was the instrument that God used to start this church. And so he says, am I not an apostle? If nobody else thinks I'm an apostle, certainly you do because you witnessed it. You're here sending me letters because of that moment, you know, my defense, 
to those who examine me in the, is this. So someone's examining, is he really an After he comes, plants the church, gets people saved, sets up leadership, walks away, continually uh, does, does letters and things like that, then, you know, corresponding back and forth with them. There are those in the church saying, well, you know, Paul's not really He's not really an apostle. Now, Peter, that's an apostle. Or this person, that's an apostle. And they go through. But Paul, oh, he's kind of a, he's not one of the original 12. Paul's not one of the original 12, you know. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which is Peter, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war against his own uh, war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Now he's talking specifically about compensation here. Now Paul never took money from this church, but what he's getting at is, shouldn't I be able to? I should be able to, and that's the point here. These guys, by the way, the Corinthian church, were bringing in people to teach who would beat them up spiritually using the scripture wrongly, and they would pay them huge amounts of money. And Paul's saying, we never did that to you. In fact, I never took a dime from you because I never wanted the gospel to be tainted by that or for anybody to say that I came here for that purpose, to make myself, you know, the money, the big bucks here to be a traveling, whatever, motivational speaker to get the cash. I never wanted anybody to think that. But, but, this is where we get our principle and understanding of, of paying salaries to preachers. It's okay. It's appropriate. It's appropriate to do that. Uh, first, first Christian church here in town is looking for a pastor. They're looking for one. They posted it. You know, I didn't apply. I didn't apply. <laughs> But they've got a salary for them and waiting for anybody. Now, you had to graduate from their seminary, unfortunately, in order to, to go uh, to, get the, um, to get it. But the idea that someone would look at that compensation package or the idea of the church offering money to somebody to come and be their pastor isn't wrong. It's appropriate. And that's all Paul's saying. How, how come we're the only ones that aren't supposed to bring along a believing wife and live from the gospel, to make a living from it, to actually be set aside so that we can devote ourselves, you know, to the gospel and to, the, to teaching and to being the pastor or whatever? Doesn't anybody that tends a flock get to drink some of the milk? Of course they do, you know? You're out there watching sheep, you're thirsty, you need some protein, you know, you know, and you... You it's a good sound effect, isn't it? It's what it sounds like. It's exactly what it sounds like. We've got a cow. I hate warm milk, though. <laughs> it's got to be cold. Well, these guys would do that, and it's appropriate. They're not stealing. They're not ripping off. It's not like stealing pens from your employer, you know, and taking them home so you're, you've got pens. It's, no, this is appropriate. Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it ox that God's concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? 
An ox would walk around attached to a wooden pole with a grinding stone in the middle and he would walk around and they would stomp on all the grain and get the grain off the sheaths, you know, and everything. And I don't know how it all works, but there it is. And he would eat while he walked. And some guy got the bright idea, you know what, he's eating up all my profits. Put a muzzle on that thing. Well, the motivation's lost and the thing starves to death. And all of a sudden, what you thought was a good idea to save profits ends up costing you in the long run. Because now you got a dead cow that doesn't walk, or the ox that doesn't walk around anymore. Well, you saved your money, but now you got to buy a new cow. And he says, is it ox that God's worried about, or did he write that for us? You know, a worker is worthy of his wages, is worthy of his hire. And so Paul takes the law and says, look, it's okay. Don't muzzle us. You know, don't muzzle us. It says, for our sakes, no doubt this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, the seed, the word of God, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Who are these others? Well, we'll talk about them later. He's talking about these people they would call in to be guest speakers and things like that. How much more us? And so he's just clearing it up, clearing the air, bringing it all out. That's how Paul is. He's not embarrassed because he's got the truth on his side. He doesn't feel like he has to hem and haw around this conversation. Well, I know it's a lot of money, but, you know, gee whiz, we got to eat. No, he says, it's absolutely appropriate. We're sowing spiritual things, and you're worried about your material things. Something's wrong. There's something wrong here. And so he corrects it openly, as it should be. Nevertheless, Even though that's okay, even though that's true, even though that's the way it's supposed to be and allowed by God, nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings at the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. He's going all the way back to the temple, all the way back to the tabernacle when the priesthood was developed by God. He says, no, no, no. Some of it's for me, but a lot of it's for the priest. And that's how the priest would get provided for. They could eat the breads. They could eat some of the meat. They could eat the roasted parts, different parts. You can go through the Levitical law and see all the ways that God provided for the priest through these things. And he says, it hasn't changed. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, if I do tell people about Jesus... I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says, I'm so compelled to preach the gospel, I can't keep my mouth shut. And he couldn't, ever. I love him, you know. You get beat up, that's okay. You know, throw me back in. I've got to preach the gospel. It's killing me inside. I've got to do it. He says, but if I took money for that, this is Paul's heart, if I took money for that, I would rather be dead than someone to say that I was doing it for that purpose. Because I preach the gospel because it, it aches within me. I've got to share. I've got to do this. It's a calling. There is a whole story, which I was going to bring in, but I didn't think we'd have time tonight, and I'm right. We, we don't have time for it. But there's this 
Oh, John, you'll know. You'll help me with this. He gets a shirt. The guy's hired this. Thank you, 10 shekels in a shirt. And, and I looked up all those code words, and I'm like, I can't find it. So wait, don't, don't go there. But he was a Levitical priest, who, and the whole world was, you know, they, none of them were doing what they were supposed to do at the time. This is one of those times in Israel's history. And he's walking along and said, you're a, you're a Levite? Hey, would you be our family priest? Well, sure. What's it pay? That's I mean, quite a benefit. Pay. But he did it for the money. And it was inappropriate, you know. And so Paul is simply saying, I'm not a hireling. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, it says this about the hireling. Someone who only comes, not because there's a love for the people or the souls of men, but because of the, the benefits package. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd... One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He warns us about that. There's other scriptures in um, Zechariah where he talks about, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart that are going to care for you like I care for you. You know, guys that have my vision and my heart for, for, for you, you know. Um, and that's all Paul's saying. Paul says, I'm one of those guys. I've got a calling. It's not a, it's not a career. It's not a vocation. Every, every good rabbi, well, every rabbi, you couldn't be a rabbi without it, had to have a way of making money. Paul was, although a rabbi, a tent maker. We've already got, gone over that. And that's how he provided for his family. It wasn't from being a rabbi. Even more so, now that he's called to share the gospel, to be a pastor, to be a planting church pastor, Nonetheless, um, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm doing this because it's going to, you know, I'm building, I'm building my franchise. I've got churches all over Asia and they're all sending me my 5% or whatever. No, 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 no. I don't want that. I'm here to save souls. I'm here because I have a burning desire to share the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will... I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. The idea of keeping the gospel in your back pocket, I'm not showing up until I see my paycheck, is, a, is nauseating to Paul and should be. I mean, hopefully everybody knows that, that I, I'm not going to go on stage until I get my, you know, my due. Um, renegotiate your contract before the show kind of thing. No, 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 no. I'm never going to abuse my authority in the gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all men, that's something to ponder, but we'll maybe, maybe I'll do it later. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews that became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under God towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, or became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. Kind of brings both chapters together in that one section right there. First of all, I don't do it for the money. And when I do do it, I find out who I'm talking to and I meet them where they are. It's 
basically what he's saying. I become all things to all men. I don't stay that way. He doesn't stay that way. For each group, he changes. If I go to a community where they all wear hats and you have to wear a hat or nobody's going to talk to you or they think you're a heathen, then I'm going to wear a hat. And I'm going to talk about Jesus with a hat on. You know, it's no big deal. David, I'm sure you've run into that in Africa. I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot here. He's probably tired and half asleep. But you've run into that in Africa, I'm sure. Look, there's a culture here, and I'm the whitest guy in Africa, you know, and I need to be appropriate with the group, you know. Not, you know, shaming Christ or not compromising in my faith, but I need to meet them where they are, right? Okay. And that's with any culture. Um, Hudson Taylor, is he China Inland Missions? What a guy. The, the English would go up to China and they'd walk in and they'd be English, you know? You need to and be and wear and do. And that's appropriate. That's, how this, that's exactly how they sounded. But he didn't do it that way. He looked like them. He wore their clothes. He got their hair cut. The little thing that they wear, you know, all the heads shaved and all this. And he walked in, all the English missionaries, you know, you should read it. It's amazing. I love guys like that. I love Hudson. I love him. I'm passionate about these guys because they did it because they wanted to meet people. Who cares if I have my hair? Who cares what hairstyle? Who cares what I'm wearing? If that's going to stop people from hearing what I have to say about Jesus Christ, then paint me whatever. Paint me red, you know. I'm going to do whatever I need to do without compromising my faith. Well, let's not let that be a hang-up. Chopsticks? Fine. I'm not going to make them use a fork to preach the gospel. I'm going to use chopsticks or try to, you know, stab it. That's how I use them anyway. You should read his biography. It's amazing. Along with many other great heroes of the faith, you know, um, because they truly, they just truly loved people. He loved the Chinese people and wanted them to know Jesus Christ. I love that. That's all Paul's saying. Let your gospel that you want to share be from love. Don't compromise your faith by, at all. Of course not. But whatever can go, let it go. You know, and just minister and serve and take care of them. And he does that. Um, that verse 19 is always, it stuck with me when I was studying. Uh, for though I am free from all men. What does that mean? That means if Paul didn't have that burning desire to share the gospel, he can take his ball and go home if he wants to. He doesn't have to play. I don't have to go to the law. I don't have to go to the unlawful. I don't have to go to the, I don't have to go anywhere. I'm saved. I'm born again believer. I can take my ball and go home. He can't because he has a calling on his life. Because he's got that burning desire to share the gospel. But he's saying, I'm free from all men. I'm not obligated by any means. I'm not beholden to any group or any people. But I do it because I love them. It's a wonderful thing. I want to win people. I become all things. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Now, verse 24, and we'll close here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, that reminds you of several scriptures. I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time here, but what he's actually saying is we're all running a race. Now, 
Does only one person get the prize? Of course not. We all, well done and good and faithful servant. We hope we all hear that. But Paul's saying, you know what? Run it like there's one prize. Let iron sharpen iron. Let, let's spur one another on to good works. Let us make it a competition, you know? Not because of the competition, but say, you know, we, we, we baptized 27 people. Oh, yeah? That's great. I'm really happy for you, you know? I'm going for 30 kind of thing. Not because I just want to beat them, but because look at them alive and sharing the gospel and leading people and they're maturing and, and there's wonderful things happening here. I want to do that too. And so you begin to pick up the pace, you know? You begin to run a little harder. Pay attention a little bit more to the Holy Spirit. You know, look for those opportunities. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Of course they do. But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Beat them. I mean, if anybody was head and shoulders or faster than anybody else, it was Paul. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. No shadow boxing for me, no looking in the mirror, you know. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I I myself should become disqualified. Paul says, I don't know what I'm going to run into today. So I'm going to train like I'm going to fight. I'm going to pray like today's the day that someone's going to get saved. When he says he's tempered in all things, I think about runners. Um, When the Olympics first started, naked as jaybirds. That's how they competed, you know. It was all men, but... And, and so there they go running down the road. Uh, you know, it'd be a little awkward for us, you know, very awkward for us, you know, seeing them run. And since then, we've gotten, you know, longer gym shorts and, you know, more tank tops and maybe, you know, whatever. But we're kind of going the other way now. And, and, the, and the runners and the track stars, now you can see, well, you can see half their cheeks now when they run or whatever. But the idea is they're trying to get fleet of foot. They're trying to rid themselves of any encumbrances that would hinder their body from doing what it needs to do to leave all the joints open and flexible. It's not to show anything off. It's to say, man, I want to run. Now you can wear anything you want at track. If you're going to run a 440 or whatever, you can wear a backpack if you want to. I would advise it. You probably won't win, but you could. You could wear a weighted vest. You could wear lots of things. You could wear combat boots and say, these are the new, you know, Nike somewhere. And everybody look at you and say, I'm not betting on you. I do not think you're going to win. Paul's just saying, why don't you put on the track shoes that you're supposed to wear and get the cleats you're supposed to have and take off the backpack, lighten the load, and make sure that you are ready to run to win. Who wants to frump out there that starting block's way down there. I'm going to do this, you know. I don't want to get down and put my hands down. That's a long way down, you know. As a Christian, I never want to be caught doing that. Kind of going halfway with everything. I got my backpack on. Well, it's got all my stuff. It's got my water bottle, my iPod, and, and all that. So I don't want to be without that for 440. No, let's run to win. Shed all the things that can be shed. Wear the appropriate attire for a gospel preaching person, you know, and run that you might get the prize. You know, try to win that day. Let's go. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart. 
getting their eyes and minds off of the ridiculous things that they're arguing about, food and idols and all these things, and saying, let's get focused back on sharing the gospel, upon telling people about Jesus, not about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what's permissible and not permissible. Why don't we tell people to get saved and tell them about Jesus, to grow in our faith, to mature, to get older in the Lord, to stop drinking milk and start eating meat when it comes to our spiritual walk. I thank you for Paul's heart. He is on letter number two to these people, and he's bringing them up in the faith appropriately, meeting them there where they are with their questions, but also bringing them to maturity while telling the whole church that our, some are weak and some are strong, and you got to deal with that. And the weak heard that, and they became stronger by reading this letter. I pray that we would get stronger, Lord, more mature in the faith, less worried about consumer Christianity and what people can do for us, but what we've called us to, God, that we can be servants of yours, Lord, to minister and see the need and be ready and run in such a way that we might win. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.